0: Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to Episode 6 of Improv is No Joke Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, and thank you very much for listening today. Today's guest is Steve Sachs, the president of Solutions to Results, LLC, a communication consulting company. Before I begin, let's take care of some quick housekeeping items. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast and be so moved as to write a review on iTunes. Your support is greatly appreciated. Also, if you've not signed up for the SN Challenge, please go to my website, petermargaritas.com, scroll down to the Yes, and Challenge call to action, and click to register to begin this journey of transformation. If you're not sure what the Yes, And Challenge is about, go back and listen to the episode zero. This is where I explain the Yes, And Challenge. Don't forget to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag Challenge or on the Accidental Accountant's Facebook page. Each week, I'll share with you an article or video that relates to the principles of improvisation. This week's article comes from a blog posting by John Kremer titled, Improvisation and Presence. John writes, In any organization, it's the people are the greatest resource, and five fully engaged people deliver far greater value than ten semi-engaged people. They also cost less in wages and take fewer sick leaves. Increased presence in team members adds value exponentially as improvisation has, at its core, the practice of collaboration. When a team is made up of members who are adding positive energy, are really listening and contributing enthusiastically, the results quickly follow. So well said, John. So well said. I will put a link to this blog post in the show notes and in the transcript. Now back to Steve Sachs. Steve is a CPA, CGMA, and ABC whose consulting company Solutions to Results, LLC, works with membership organizations, professional practices, and individuals to create and implement effective communication strategies that result in clear and compelling messages. A former executive director of a membership association, Steve has been in the forefront of the accounting profession for 30 years. He has developed practice management publications, continuing professional education programs, produced award winning newsletters, and led the creation of a niche credential. As you listen to this interview, you might hear ice being dropped into a glass or a blender in the background. Steve was in New York City on business and was able to squeeze in this interview by sitting in a lounge at a New York City hotel. With that said, here we go. I am so excited today to have on my podcast, uh, Steve Sachs. And Steve and I met in Las Vegas at a CCH conference, and he was one of the attendees in my Leveraging Your Leadership Using Improvisation. And we had such a spirited conversation after that. I actually visited Steve in New York in his office, and I want to keep this dialogue going that we've had. So first and foremost, welcome to the podcast, Steve. I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule uh to spend some time with me in this, in this conversation
1: it's uh, my pleasure peter thank you for inviting me to join you
0: you're more than welcome uh and i'm look i'm so looking forward to this conversation on what kind of nuggets we can pull out from your wisdom and your experiences over the years but i, I guess a great starting point is tell us a little bit tell my audience a little bit about yourself about your background
1: Well, I'm a CPA by training and experience. I had several years in public accounting with uh, mid-sized firms and uh, a large firm. But I was always more of a right brain thinker, you know, the antithetical uh, CPA. So I was never enamored by, by numbers. I wanted to know what the What generated those numbers? Why are they different? Giving a financial statement to a client three months after the fact and just signing off on it was no value add for me. So I got into consulting early on uh, before I joined the AICPA. And when I was with the AICPA, I was involved in a number of initiatives that I'm proud to say uh, still exist uh, very strongly today. One is uh, leading the development of the ABB credential and starting business valuation litigation services conferences back in the early 1990s. I was also involved in writing the first set of consulting services standards and helped develop the framework for the second one, which was focused on business valuation. I was uh, developed award-winning newsletters. We had a membership section uh, for those who wanted to pay an extra stipend to be uh, part of a consulting services uh, membership section where they would get various communication uh, materials and conferences and things of this nature. Again, keeping with the mindset of uh, the right brain aspect. From there, I had my own consulting practice, which did not involve accounting, but it involved communications, marketing communications, any any form of external communications, press releases, position papers, uh, speeches that I have written for a number of people, newsletters that I had written for uh, a state society, and then after that, I was part of this. Uh, organization called Global Alliance comprising eight top 100 firms that decided they got too big for their own association, so they decided to come together. And we formed that, and then we went searching for another organization that already had international growth rather than going to all four corners of the globe. So, uh, formed from the Global Alliance, which was the name of the organization, merging with Moore Stevens North America, and I was at the helm of that organization for 11 years, which then takes us to the present day, where I have now revived my uh, company's solutions to results, whose tagline is, when identifying problems, just isn't enough. Why do, I, why do I look at it like that is because every time, whether I was putting conferences together or using consultants on a personal basis, professional basis, you know, it's always easy to find the problem and then you write them the check and nothing has changed. So I say that you must go from prom identification to determining, uncovering the solutions and not stop there. Because what usually happens, you use consultant A, and consultant A takes you from one point to the next point. Then you got to hire consultant B, who'll take you to the next point. But you really don't have one-stop shop. So that's where I'm looking uh, to create a differentiation between other consultants out there, whether I do this solely or I do as a strategic partner for other organizations that need to uncover and provide the solutions, and, and most important, to implement those solutions. We don't want to wash our hands and say, here's my proposal, give me my check, have a nice day, stick the report up on the, uh, on the shelf. As you are well aware, this is what happens often. That is awesome. I,
0: I love that concept. Uh, but I want to back up just a moment. Uh, I knew there was another reason why I liked you so much, because we share a lot of the same uh, qualities that we're both right brain people living in a left brain world. <laughs> and I call myself the accidental accountant because I can't pronounce the antithetical CPA. It's, 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 it's way above my pay grade and, and, and there's too many syllables there for me. But I, I, I love the fact that we did meet and we both have that, that commonality of communication. Uh, of the profession that I, I can tell by the, the your voice. I mean, it's a profession that you've loved, that you've grown up with, but you found a different way to help the profession moving forward through your work at Moore Stevens. You're working at the ASCPA, the, the, the right brain side of, of, of your personality and how it's morphed itself into. And I love the tagline, identifying problems is not enough. I mean— you've nailed it. It's not enough. Uh, Even providing solutions, but there's always something it's like you said, it's an ongoing fluid process.
1: I I agree. And the thing is when you only get a piece of the, a slice of the pie from one consultant then have to go to another consultant then to another consultant what it does is it muddies the marketplace and you don't have any points of distinction why should I go with consultant A versus consultant B versus consultant C and then we rely too much on consultant speak and <laughs> all the fancy lingo so if I say something to a client and that client, he or she, is completely befuddled. Then it means I'm doing my job. I haven't said anything worth a darn, but I sound intelligent. And, and that's the thing: is communications. And one of the one of the things I find um, to be a contradiction is here we are relying on technology. These days, yes, I get it, it's to make the work day more efficient. But what about the next generation that's coming out? You know, the digital natives that all they're doing is exercising their thumbs and not looking someone straight in, in the eye and speaking. Accounting profession, as you would agree with me, is a relationship building uh, profession. So we shouldn't devote so much time to the technology, which then will displace people, have higher unemployment. I mean, there's got to be a way to use technology to make us a little bit more humane and a little bit more right, right-brained. right And I don't mean to say that everyone needs to be a citizen journalist, you know, to think that they could opine on anything with hundred and forty characters. But truly, you know, to to listen. You know, I I heard this a long time ago when I was little, Steve, you have two ears and one mouth, so you might as well be listening twice as much as talking. And the listening part is is very important. And I think again with consulting, going back to the whole focus of consulting, is Don't ask the question and then use the time that the other person is responding to think about the next question. Was that question that you really asked relevant? Are you trying to get to the end game? Have you you, uh, come prepared? Do you know what the client really wants? And we're not talking about a one-size-fits-all. Again, it has to do... With relationship. It has to do with communications. It has to do with looking at things, not myopically, but with a wide angle view.
0: I can't agree with you anymore. I mean, you hit it right on the nail. I mean, that, that's that's my message that I've been trying to uh, promote through my book, through uh, this podcast is I, I believe in technology. And I believe technology has a, has a place, but and I'll just say this. Email is not the only form of communication. Email does not build relationships. Eye to eye contact, grip and grin, uh, you know, call it old school. I just call it a, a, a tactic that's when I can look somebody in the eye and meet them. I, I uh, almost immediately can determine if I have some trust for this person or not have trust for this person. Um, you get a lot of that organic. Information from body language and stuff that tells you a lot about that you're not you're not uh, uh, seeing uh, or hearing, and as it relates to listening and and Steve ha- Steve has has read my book and and actually I met him in New York in December, he and, and his colleague and I was really blown away because in the conference room he had my book open he had it marked he had it dog eared he had tabs in there and, and underlined and this whole thing with improvisation is the ability to listen to understand, hear what the client's saying, and then be able to adapt to what their needs are,
1: not what our agenda is. Exactly. And that's why, when you're trying to make points of distinction, that you want that client, that prospective client to walk away and say, you know, Peter or Steve really cared and wants to be a partner. We'll use the term as technical term of art in the profession, but we should say partnering for someone's success. I want to be a partner with my client's success. And I can only do that by listening and asking questions. Um, There was an article that appeared in the New York Times a few weeks ago uh, that was in the business section. I think it was titled something like Talk Less and Ask Why More. Because you, you, you start to understand and put things together. But if you're always talking, you're not you're not going to be able to read between the lines. And your point about body language is well taken. You know, attorneys hire body language coaches when they're doing. Peremptory challenges for witnesses in the course of uh, developing a jury for a case. Very, very important. There's books out on body language. You know how to appear more open and friendly and approachable versus you, you know cross your arms because that means stay away. I'm defensive or prove to me what you're saying is right. So it's again. Email is f- is fine for quick hits, but even then, email is abusive. Number one, you don't want to deal with somebody's issue, so you give them uh, a quick response back. So it's ping-pong. Okay, now the ball is in that other person's court, so I just wipe my hands with it. But no, you didn't. All you've done is you've deferred a problem that's going to fester more and more. And since I'm a words person, tone has a lot to do with it, exactly. you know uh, don't call me something nasty, write it down and then give a, a smiley emoji. I, that, that is, there's something a little paradoxical about that. <laughs> That's right. I, I,
0: anytime I find myself in an email ping pong contest, I immediately pick up the phone and have a phone conversation because confusion, um, it's so easy to create confusion through that as well as, you know, I can, I can gather the tone from your voice. I can gather the tone from your body language, but I can't gather the tone through an email, through Twitter, through a posting on my Facebook page or or anything like that. Um, And there is, you said this early in the conversation that uh, we as CPAs are in the relationship building, we we provide services but when I, I love asking audiences this question what business are you in and then cpa's go oh, i'm in accounting no oh, tax I'll go you're in the people business first and foremost without people you have no employees without people you have no you have no clients so the better that we can develop our people to be relationship builders that's how we grow businesses that's how we that's how we grow uh, um, careers is through the ability to build these types of relationships
1: I agree in, in your presentation that I and my colleagues sat through in in uh, in vegas was one of the most enjoyable especially since we participated in some (laughs) of the physical exercises which is really out of my comfort zone she she pushed me to do it and you you went to the first guy in the row in front of in front of you said pick somebody he turns around and picks somebody and then he turns around and gets to the row in front of me i'm saying please don't pick me please don't (laughs) pick me and then my colleague is laughing I said. I pick you, so anyway, that was that was really fun. Um, I remember you asked, what, what business were we in? And, and people were, you know, sort of flummoxed at the question a little bit. I right? do taxes, I help people, audits. But it is building relationships that lead to success. Now, here's the $64,000 question. You and I around the same age, give or take, Back in the day when we entered public accounting, it was the new staff person never went out with a partner just to meet a client to see what goes on behind the scenes. That was forbidden. Right. Now, some of the firms are seeing that it makes sense to bring the younger people in so they understand how to comport themselves in a meeting to listen, to listen, to look at the body language, to listen to the questions that the partner is asking, how he or she is asking questions, how the client is reacting. You gotta be able to bring up the next generation sooner rather than later. And if the profession doesn't realize that sooner rather than later, it's gonna shoot itself in the foot and there are gonna be people that will just get their CPA, and disappear into the night, going into the private sector or, or doing us. It's so important that you allow the younger people to have uh, an intellectual investment in, in the firm that you allow, you bring them to the client, you show them, you introduce them, because they have the client has to have a level of comfort. And that's not to to leave out the fact that you also want to have your firm be representative of the demographics that your client base is is part of.
0: Uh, that, that's that's a very good point. And and actually, uh, in the May uh, edition of Accounting Today, I had a an article published, it's time to get out from behind the desk, which really talks about a lot of what you just said is you're right. We never took first year, second year staff out. We, we need to, we need to provide them with more than just technical skills because if we take it from a firm perspective, the first five years they're being shoved with a, a tremendous amount of technical knowledge, which I, I, we need to be technically sound, but then we put them in a role of a manager and now we're telling them they have to develop people, they have to develop business, but they don't have the skill set or haven't been able to develop that skill set. And, and basically, we've done what Peter Drucker coined as the Peter principle. We've promoted them to the level of incompetence. And a lot of times they'll leave or those who may have that right brain aspect of it will survive and continue to grow. But we need to, we need to invest in our people Earlier, with the what they call soft skills, which is there's, they they may sound soft, but you really they're hard, and they're, they're really hard for a lot of people to 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 master it. And I, I think the quicker we as a profession do that, uh, the better off we will be
1: in the long run. I I agree. The um, e- even something simple as how you comport yourself at a business meeting, a dinner meeting, knowing the right fork to use, knowing where to put the napkin on the chair if you're coming back or to let the waiter know when your meal is over or some of these things. These, you know, these kids came from frat houses and now they're into the real world. You know, in, in our day, or at least in my day, the big best-selling book was Dress for Success. Now, there's a wide school of thought of how CPAs should dress. Some of the firms now, because of the Gen Gen Ys, um, are relaxing their their dress code. They can wear jeans all the, all through the week, except of course, I guess, if they're meeting with a client. You know, they're looking to to sort of. See Silicon Valley eyes the firms. You know how all the startups in the late 90s and 2000s, and not that the magic partner is going down the hallway on a razor scooter, but you know just <laughs> just to re- just to re- relax the environment because you have multi-generational workplaces now. You know you have the 60-year-old and the 25-year-old, and the 25-year-old is trying to sell the idea of business development on, uh, using Twitter or Facebook. And the 60-year-old is from the old school about face-to-face and professionalism and ethics and all the tenants of the profession that we grew up knowing. So what you have is you have a, a disconnect there. So firms are going to have to find a way for the 25-year-old and the 60-year-old to meet in the middle. And, and that, I think, is going to be a very... Uh, key factor, particularly in the next nine or ten years 75% of the existing firm leadership is going to be retired Right. so how is that going to impact the way business is done? Is it now going to be new generations are going to be dealing with new generational clients and it'll be different than the way you and I did it or the way our predecessors did it? I don't know, but I do know one thing, and that is if firms want to maintain a legacy and long-term viability, they cannot say to a candidate, you know what, Peter, in uh, 12 or 13 years, we'll make you partner. They'll say that, you know, on the campus recruiting. No, I'm sorry, that doesn't cut the mustard anymore. They're going to look at you like you have three heads. You know, that's why firms are now saying we need to build leaders sooner faster, more effectively, give them all the arrows and the quiver that they need. So by the time they're 28 or 29, that wasn't a mountain to overcome. That was, you know, five or six or seven years rather than 13 years. So that's going to be another sea change that that we're going to see in, in the profession. And maybe the next generation will determine how to build leaders faster than the current firm leadership. What, what is your thinking on that?
0: Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, as you were describing this, I went to another aspect of, of, of current leadership within firms needing to, needing to change is succession planning. And a lot of the feedback is, and I've talked to in my audiences when I've had people in firms who are at the manager level and I asked them, do you want to make partner? And 75% of the time it's no. Uh, because I see the way the partnership is run. And I, I had one gentleman say that a, a partner gave him a, uh, put a file on his desk and said, I want you to handle this transaction this way. And he looked at it and said, no, I think I've got a better way for it. And I, I credit the partner according to his story was, he said, okay, tell me what you would do. And he told him and he said, you know what? That's a better idea. So the manager, I guess, got a little cocky. He said, if this was my firm, I'd run it differently. And the partner going, okay, tell me how you would do it. He said, I wouldn't have ten partners; I'd have twenty. I would spread the work out, spread the wealth out, so we won't burn ourselves out and kill ourselves. And we need to become more creative and think outside the box. Which he then went on to explain that they have a monthly creative meeting where they're trying to come up with new ideas. They're trying to get the the, the manager that, that build that succession plan internally versus I think a lot of firm succession planning is being bought. And being gobbled up, um, and I think it—you know—it it all goes back to when I think about this. I, I think about obviously I, I try to create a, l- a lot of stuff to improv. I think firms have to be able to adapt a lot quicker in today's day and age than they ever have in the past. And by listening and hearing the client, hearing the associate, and, and truly. Parking their agenda for a moment and, and trying to live in the other person's reality will give them a better feedback in, and what are the needs and wants of my client, internal client, who I'm, I want to build a relationship with because I want them to become partner or I want them to become CFO as well as my external client as well. And I think that, I think that's, that's a, Big challenge out there, but I I believe that we can master it once we accept it. And I'll just take one additional step. Most CPAs have never read the uh, ASCPA twenty twenty five Horizon Project on the core competencies that are needed in this profession. So, I and I'm not going to tell the audience. All of them. Uh, I would highly suggest that they go and download and read it. But I didn't see anything in there about debits or credits or code sections or or a cod- the codification. I saw leadership, communication, synthesizing, critical thinking, these types of skills. And, and this is what, and I believe in our our opinion that we need to have a, a greater investment in the profession
1: today in order to build a better tomorrow. I agree wholeheartedly. And, and one thing, um, it's nice if you have uh, professional-looking marketing collateral and you talk about culture this, culture that. But many times I see that they're not walking talk, you know, and culture is a very big thing. Culture will be the determining factor whether you've created a home for that future star or not. You know, it used to be that back in the day, if you job jumped, you know, 10 times before 35, oh, you know, you were toxic, radioactive. But then it turned around to say, you know, expect somebody before 35 to move around because of opportunity or pay or this and that. But I say there's nothing wrong with with loyalty that is wrapped within commitment, accountability, responsibility and respect. There's there's no there, there's an important factor that someone who's a staff person being given the opportunity to become a partner has to change their mindset from an employee to an owner. Back in the day, when you were a partner, what you did was kick in a capital investment, had your book of business, eat what you kill, you know, all the, the usual jargon. But now you have have, have a responsibility for building the next generation of leadership. You have to be a coach, you have to be a cheerleader, you have to be an SOB, you have to be a confidant, <laughs> you have to be a rainmaker, you have to have some technical knowledge, you have to have some, some strategic. Uh, mindset and there are a lot of people that are saying you know what, I didn't really sign up for this I don't have, I can't manage people so what they do is they're really good technically and they can be lifetime managers, occasionally they'll bring in business but they don't want to be shackled with the whole idea of being a partner and I will say that you know how we always say by 2025, 20, 75 percent of the uh, existing leadership will be retired. I will say that in the next 15-20 years, that the partnership model. That we have seen, which is in that pyramid, is is going to be. I'm not even going to say turn on its side. I think it's it's not going to look the way it looks anymore. I think the accountability, the metrics, the everyone's role, uh, understanding the the uh, impact that they play in building a business is going to be run more as a corporate model. Certainly there are some firms that are looking at that, but that is more of the exception than the rule. And why would why would you be a partner and, and do manager-level work? I've seen this a lot. And then build a client. And then the manager is stuck between a rock and a hard place because... They have to report to the partner, and they have to manage all the engagements they have. on. The model doesn't work, and you talked about burnout before. That's exactly what, what's going to happen. So so that example of the guy who said that, you know what? The manager said, we should have 10 partners. We should have 20 partners and spread wealth. But the most important thing is that we don't burn out. And, and, and that is the very key thing because people I speak with now are just like, they're tired. Just for, it's 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 too onerous. You know, it, it lost its cachet over the past number of years. It's still a great profession, but you as the leader of a firm, tone at the top, just like tone at the top of a corporation, tone at the top in a partnership, where there's a sense of esprit de corps, where you understand that your client is not your client, but it's the firm's client, especially if you could leverage the skill sets of another partner, helping that client solve an issue. Otherwise the client said, gee, you know, I spoke to somebody down the block who said they can do this and you never told me about that. I think I'm going to go with them. Right. I I, I want to touch
0: on something you said at the very start of this about culture. Uh, I had one of my podcast interviews is with Karen Young of HR Resolutions, and she was talking about the hiring practice. And she threw this huge boulder my way, and I'm, I'm, st- and, I, and basically what she says within her organization, she doesn't have the the applicant fill out the application first. She has the applicant go out to the website, look at the mission, vision, and core values of the organization, and the first conversation they have before even an application is. Well, now that you've seen our three, how do you fit into our organization? How do you fit into our culture? And then she sits back and listens to their response. And then based upon that, their response, she determines if it's a good fit or not. And if it's a good fit, then the application will come in the, in the traditional hiring practice, which I thought was brilliant. And she said that since instituting that, their hiring their turnover, I guess is a better word, their turnover has declined dramatically because they're putting people who want to be there, people who believe in the culture, um uh and that can accept that culture, they're more likely to be vested. There's some type of an emotional investment into it. It becomes not, I'm not to your point, it becomes I'm not an employee. I'm part of this organization. I'm part of this wheel that that turns. And I, I think that little piece of advice, and I've shared it with a number of people since the conversation, and and they've all gone, wow, she's got it right. We're doing it backwards. We're we're telling them about the mission and vision of the organization. Once they're hired as part of that onboarding process, no, we should be doing it up front first, foremost, and then have it filter
1: its way through. Absolutely. And there's two points I want to emphasize re reemphasize what you just said. Uh, The first thing is, interviewing people is a lost art first of all many times the wrong person the initial person is interviewing the candidate secondly the right questions are not being asked interviewing and extracting things out is a is a is an art and very few people have that capability the second thing that you said that, that firms don't do a good job on is uh, onboarding you should at least have someone assigned to you as like a mentor from your first day and those firms that care about their people will introduce the concept of a career roadmap to that new employee on day one with so at any one point, the person knows how he's perceived within the firm and how his performance has been. And, and I think the once a year performance evaluation, no, no. no that went the way of uh, tie-dye shirts and bell bottoms. <laughs>
0: I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more on the performance review process. Uh, it needs to be more of a, of a on-demand type of, of feedback. And, you know, what? by the time you get to—you you shouldn't have a formal review. You should have had it throughout the year. Maybe we come together for a meeting and discuss your compensation, uh, but not the, the I'm walking to my boss's office and I'm about to get the guillotine because of my performance review.
1: Also, never have a performance review and a compensation discussion all at the same time you know
0: I, yeah i i couldn't thoroughly thoroughly agree more uh, i don't want to take up too much of your time steve I, I once again i i greatly appreciate this conversation i think we could probably put together a two-hour episode and just as i'm thinking about that i'm going to go ahead and ask that in the near future i'd love to have you back on and kind of pick up where we're going to leave off and and, and just kind of keep building on this conversation that we've started uh, you bring a lot of great insight into it. You, you've, you bring a lot of great insight because of the different areas within firms you've worked with within leadership and being that right brain person in the left brain world. You've got some real solid advice that I, I know that my audience should be gravitating around and should be trying to implement um,
1: on a daily basis. Well, I I appreciate the kind words, and I would love to participate in any subsequent uh, discussions you want to have. We can delve into general things, or we can dig into uh, more specific things at greater length. It would be more than my pleasure. Well, I,
0: I'm looking forward to it. And Steve, thank you so very much again for taking time. I've learned a lot. I, I love the conversation I, in, in the conversations that we've had in the past have always been spirited and, and we see things uh, from a slightly different perspective than maybe most in our profession, which is which is a really good thing. And once again, thank you. I greatly appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Have a good day. Take care
0: now. Thanks. that was a very thought-provoking interview with steve his viewpoint that we need to quit looking at the world myopically and take a broader more right-brained approach will only help us become better at building relationships along those lines steve mentioned an article that appeared in the new york times titled talk less and ask why more by adam bryant adam is interviewing Dottie Mattson, ceo of gracious home new york i've put a link to the article in the show notes in our interview, there was a number of references to the principles of improvisation, especially to the principle of listening. In the New York Times article is a perfect example. In the article, Dottie is asked, how else has your leadership style evolved? She replied, I talk a lot less than I used to. I still talk too much, and I work on this every single day. A mentor of mine once told me, you stop at the first question, keep asking why, and then ask again, and then again, because you're not going to get remotely close to the truth unless you keep asking questions. He would literally say, ask why six times. Early in the interview, when Steve was discussing the balance between technology and human interaction, he suggests that we should be a little more right-brained, not to the point that everyone is being a citizen journalist, where we can comment on anything within 140 characters, but to truly become better listeners. Remember, you have two ears and one mouth, so you might as well be listening twice as long. It's a little known fact. Sounds like a Cliff Clavin reference from the sitcom Cheers. That listen and silent have the same letters in both. Think about that. If you like this episode, please go to iTunes and write a review on my podcast. By writing a review, helps to promote the podcast to a larger audience. Also, I'm always trying to learn, grow, and come better at everything I do, and your feedback is important to me. And remember to sign up for the Yes, And Challenge on my website at petermargaritas.com. Thank you again for taking time to listen to this podcast. I really value every audience member. In Episode 7, I interview Karen Young, founder and president of HR Resolutions and the author of the book, Stop Knocking on My Door, Drama-Free HR to Help Grow Your Business. Until next time, work a lot this week on your listening must. Thank you. Bye.